Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Go Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis. From the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. It's got more peas than a pensioner's pamper. Nick Holder. I'm a married woman, I'll have you know. And Tom Stab. Your teas are a bit splashy. So, uh, the reason for today's special intro quotes uh, and the fact that we're not bringing you Oast House episodes this week is that we've had uh, the second in our series of two very special guests this series. Uh, so, for those of you who enjoyed our uh, insight into the world of Psychic Simon with Tim Key, you will hopefully be delighted to know that this week is an interview with Jenny Gresham herself, Susanna Fielding. Uh, so, let's talk to Tom and Nick, who carried out said interview. Uh, what did you learn? What are we in for this week? Oh, well, it was a fantastic chat. Again, kind of, Susanna was so generous with her time. Uh, really happy to talk about everything in the APU. I think what's definitely worth flagging is we get some quite exciting 
uh, insight into this time series too. So we've got some potentially exclusive information on that coming up in this interview. Yeah, it was really nice to hear um, a kind of, I guess, a different perspective from a, a relative newcomer to to the APU. So it was it was great to just hear Susanna's kind of perspective on uh, her relationship with Alan and yeah, the exciting news of um, this time series two, which I know we're kind of all looking forward to. And there was just loads of kind of tidbits generally throughout the chat. So it was it was a fantastic um, opportunity to speak to her, and it was a really great chat. Uh, that's great. So, uh, yeah, those of you who are used to hearing us come from the Oast House, uh, we'll be reviewing those episodes again from next week. Uh, but for now, let's head over to uh, past Nick, past Tom and past Susanna Fielding. Dear listeners, we are joined today by an actor of both stage and screen. You may have seen her in Black Mirror, Sticks and Stones, Pete vs. Life, Catastrophe, Drifters, or perhaps Treading the Boards at the Donmar, The Young Vic, or The National Theatre. Most recently, she's featured in the YouTube comedy series depicting lockdown life, Housebound, and right now she's part of the ensemble cast for BBC One's six-part drama, Life. Last, but most certainly not least, you'll know her as the formidable Partridge foil Jenny Gresham, co-host of This Time with Alan Partridge, having cemented herself as an integral part of the APU. Today we welcome Susanna Fielding to Monkey Tennis. Hello, Susanna. Hello. Hi. What a nice intro. Thanks. <laughs> I just thought the one thing we didn't explain, when we when we refer to the APU, that's our abbreviation for the Alan Partridge universe. It might be a useful thing for is. you to know if we use that term. Of course. Thank you very much. <laughs> Technical terms. Okay. Um, so, Susanna, to begin with, it would seem remiss to not acknowledge the backdrop of coronavirus that is affecting pretty much everything right now. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. it's a shame to not be in an actual studio with such fantastic guests, but if a chat over Zoom is the only way we can do this, then we'll gladly take it. So, thank you so much for joining us and taking some time to chat all things Alan Um, but to start with we want to do a bit of a general check-in how are you doing how have the last six months been for you are are doing conversations like this over over zoom an accurate representation of your new normal they appear to be yes I'm very much missing human contact Um, but this is a it's a close second I get to see you all in your natural habitat as well we're on we're on zoom (laughs) so I can see um, Tom's backdrop which has got some interesting things on the shelf um, and you get to see a bit of mine. But yeah, it's been it's been challenging. Um, I've luckily been doing voiceovers in my wardrobe with a duvet over my head um, and things yeah. like that to keep myself going. Um, and doing this um, YouTube thing, Housebound, which has been really fun, written by some brilliant writers who yeah. wrote a thing called I Want My Wife Back that I did a while ago. Um, so yeah, so I've been surviving and thankfully the weather's been amazing, hasn't it? So I've been... I've been getting into gardening. I've basically entered retirement, guys. That's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound too bad. I mean, no, we've we've, uh, we've been able to fill some of our lockdown time diving into Alan's new podcast from the Oast House. Uh, we're wondering, this might be a bit too much of a busman's holiday for you, but have you listened to any of that yet? Have you che- Will you be checking it out? You know what? I was listening to um, your last episode of Monkey Tennis. And, Uh-oh. Um, oh, God. So, oh, no. yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm on to you. Um, <laughs> And uh, it did, it really did sort of pique my interest. So I think I, well, I will be listening to it, absolutely. And it's come at a really good time, hasn't it? With everyone kind of desperate for some new content and new yeah. material. So, um, yeah, it couldn't be better, really. I I'm mean, I definitely wouldn't recommend listening to us before you listen to that. You've probably... Okay, because <laughs> you, you basically we, we ruin it We will ruin it for you, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I'll do it that way around just, then. Just okay. to be honest about it. Um, yeah, so... Coronavirus obviously had a huge impact on performing arts and the film and TV industry. Has there been much impact for you personally in terms of did you have any work lined up for 2020 that hasn't been able to take place? 
Yeah, I did. I was supposed to be filming um, a new thing, um, which the writers of Alan Partridge have written. um, And that's been put on hold until next year. Um, And apart from that, I I was potentially doing something in the Cotswolds as well, which has been put on hold. So it has been a really tricky time for everybody. Um, There's no denying that. Um, And obviously theatre is looking like it's a way Mm. off before we get to do anything like that. But um, but the good news is that we've brought forward the filming of this time too. So we are going to be starting shooting that in, in a few weeks. So oh, wow. There's some, yeah, quick. so there's, some, there's <clears throat> some plus points in that. And it's meant that all the writers have had the time, which they might not have done, um, to sit down and really crack on with that, Steve included, obviously. Um, so, you know, there's a silver lining to all of this. But, yeah, I consider myself quite lucky. I seem to have come out fairly unscathed so far <laughs> doing the voiceover work in the cupboard with the duvet has, has kept you busy exactly it's all glamour <laughs> oh well i'm sure we'd uh we'll, we'll probably get on to this time in a bit because i'm sure we'd want to delve a bit more into potentially series two whether you can even say anything about that yet so um mm-hmm. yeah let, yeah, let's see. <laughs> yeah we've got we've got quite a lot obviously alan partridge focus focus questions but we wondered kind of almost before we delve into that kind of Growing up, what was your relationship with comedy like? What were the shows that, you know, you kind of grew up with? What kind of comedy inspired you as, as you were kind of growing up? And was comedy something you always wanted to get into as an actor? Yeah, it really is. It's always been something that I've been perhaps slightly different to my peers in, in like, I'm just simply not interested in Hollywood or Star Wars or Lord <laughs> of the Rings or being in a Marvel <laughs> film. Like, it just doesn't interest me. My obsession has always been British comedy since I was tiny. My idea of a fun Saturday afternoon is watching reruns of... Um, 40 Towers on on VHS for the afternoon Um, or The British Empire or Last of the Summer Wine or Ab Fab like all of those shows were were kind of and they still are really what kind of makes me tick so I consider myself very fortunate that I've been able to make a career in something that I just find I just think it's something we do so Mm. well and so and so differently to to everywhere else it seems British comedy is that's my drug. So, um, yeah, that, that was that was what I was into. I really love those, like, nuggets as well with, you know, things like 40 Towers are played kind of ad nauseum on, on TV, but things like the British Empire where you kind of think, I love that growing up, but you can't really find it now, but it was, it was still great. And, you know, those kind of, like, buried treasures, things like the Thin Blue Line and these kind of things that you just don't see very much anymore. Um, but, yeah. no, I think we all, we're all big fans of those shows. Excellent. We're all on the same page. And then in terms of, uh, I guess, Alan Partridge as, as a kind of character, what was your kind of first experience? Because the character's been going for such a long time. There's so many different entry points that you kind of come into. What was what was the point at which you kind of became just a fan or, or aware or started watching that character? I think I sort of like, I didn't have any brothers or anything. And I think it was sort of quite a sort of like male thing, perhaps initially. Mm. Like lots of the fans that I know are men in their mid to late 30s. <laughs> Um, or early 30s gentlemen um, I'll take that <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't assume <laughs> I just say don't assume <laughs> um, so I think it's, I maybe sort of didn't get on board with it until I was a little bit older um, and then my first um, intro was I'm Alan Partridge and then um, and then I watched some of the Knowing Me Knowing You and loved that um, But actually, it was only really when I started auditioning for the show that I kind of did the deep dive Mm. and started kind of reading stuff and watching Mid Morning Matters. I loved Alpha Papa. I had seen that already. Um, And I think that's a really great film. I absolutely loved it. 
Um, but there's still so much more to kind of explore. It feels endless. Like, mm. this is why you're on episode 100, <laughs> right? It's like... yeah, we know it's endless. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you go into as much detail as you guys do. Like, you can go around again. But that's, I think that is just a testament to the writing, ultimately, isn't it? Is the detail is extraordinary. And that's why, you know, making a show that, you know, like this time or whatever takes so long because they're constantly rewriting and shooting again if it's not right and finding more and more bits of detail to add in, which obviously um, the mega fans absolutely love, but it's what makes it such a quality show, I think. Mm. Was that in, in watching earlier, Alan, so kind of all the pre-this time, Alan, uh, was there anything, any kind of really standout moments? So you mentioned, for example, that you loved Alpha Papa, but was there anything that really stuck with you when you were kind of delving into all of the output? Um, oh, that's a good question, actually. Um, so I think everybody tends to have their favourite kind of era of Alan or favourite Alan show. So whether that's I'm Alan Partridge or Mid Morning Matters and whatever, it's kind of interesting how everyone has these different favourites, I think. Well, I loved, I loved Knowing Me, Knowing You because it felt like it was sort of kind of a first and I've heard of lots mm. of people saying mm. that they watched it and really thought it was a tv show like they really thought yeah. it was a chat show so I always love that sort of thing where you're kind of you know some people aren't quite aware of what's going on and there's a, a show within a show um which of course is you know what's brilliant about this time they've sort of reinvented that and I loved how big the characters were and how kind and the sort of it's sort of staginess of it as well like it's quite theatrical yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that. But then I also absolutely love the kind of throwaway of mid-morning matters as well and how kind of compressed that is with those two just sat in a room. Um, so I can see elements of all of it that I love, really. But, yeah. It's probably time to move on to this time because we've got so much we want to talk to you about when it comes to that show. Uh, we heard that you got the part of Jenny by sending in a self-taped audition whilst you were living in LA. I believe that's correct. Mm. So could you tell yeah. us a bit about the process of auditioning for the role and how that all played out? Yeah, so basically I got sent some um, scenes from my agent and um, was immediately like, oh, okay, this is this is seriously good. Because she's, you know, she's not just a kind of foil to him. And the scenes that they sent me were the opening scenes from the very first episode where she comes in and she says, I'm sorry, I'm late. Yeah. Um, and she sort of sits down next to him and she's practising what she's going to say. And then he makes a joke and she steals it. And um, so that whole scene it, it very quickly became clear that it was dealing with a character that kind of had an edge to her and there was... Uh, that she yeah. was going to be kind of driving some of the the comedy as well. Um, and so that was obviously very exciting. Um, and then I can't remember what other scenes. Oh, and there was another scene where I had to do the um, the articulation bit where I'm sort of teaching him to say, um, oh, goodness, I've forgotten the word. Articulation. Come on, guys. Enunciating <laughs> about the, yeah, about exactly. the splashy tees. Exactly, yeah. the splashy tees. Yeah. yeah, you see just a little bit splashy there, yeah. <laughs> Um, bit sibling. Yeah, so so that is that's it, a bit sibling. That's it. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, it's been a I while. It's the, been. I, I can't think what the word is though. Uh, no, what is it? It's God. something a bit sexual, isn't it? It's something a bit flirty, and you can sort of see him really struggling with yes. yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm making him look at my mouth. I can't really remember what it is now. It's it's been a while. It anyway, will, it will come to us. Yeah, it will come it? to us. Yeah. Um, so they sent me those two scenes, and I decided to kind of like 
really go for it. So I dressed up looking as, you know, daytime TV as I could. Um, and I had a friend help me film it and he sat next to me and did his very best Alan Partridge impression, um, which kind of weirdly does help because it's all about the timing, isn't it? And the responses to his ridiculousness. Um, and then sent that tape off and got a call quite soon after saying that it was down to me and one other person and would I fly back to London to meet Steve and the writers, Rob and Neil Gibbons, for an hour and a half improv audition. I was like, oh, my oh. God. <laughs> no pressure. Um, no pressure whatsoever. Just uh, just down to you and one other, one other person. Um, I remember being extremely nervous about... I think I was probably the most nervous I've ever been, probably. Um, mainly because you, you're not hanging on to lines. It's all about what happens between you and, and Steve Coogan. So it's either going to go well or it's not. <laughs> um, so we, um, we met in, um, in the Soho Theatre in London and then went up into a small room and just kind of worked on their relationship really for about an hour and a half and had a really good time doing it and Steve is an amazing actor as I'm sure you guys agree he's not just an incredible comic but actually it's about the scene and it's about what's going on between the two characters as much as him trying to Mm. be funny um so that kind of actually just took the pressure off massively um and then that went well and then a few days later they called and said can you film some more scenes and I'm thinking oh gosh is this good news or bad news um and I did send some more scenes in and then I think maybe two or three days after that I was coming up out of Leicester Square Tube Station and got a call from my agent saying it's yours and I jumped up and down <laughs> and started yelling in the street. Um, I think because I'd been on such a journey with it. Mm. It's obviously an amazing gig, but also I'd been, you know, I'd become quite attached to the character and the idea of doing it by that stage. Um, so, yeah, it was super exciting. So how that's actually a really good kind of almost like leading to the next point then about curious as to how much kind of development you could have into that character because as you say so much of it is like yes you've got what's on on the script but it's kind of how you can kind of build out that character so were you able in those sessions with Steve to kind of almost like build out the characterization of, of Jenny and kind of make it your own in a sense yeah I think they'd sort of done the beginning foundations and I think they was perhaps you know looking for someone to come in and and bring more to the more to the picture which is obviously the fun bit as an actor. So I think we really developed that sense of tension between them, whether there was any kind of like sexual chemistry or whether she was just absolutely, you know, infuriated by him from the beginning and then sort of adding in that vulnerability about the fact that perhaps her marriage wasn't going very well or she was in fact separated um, and, and, you know, how competitive and ambitious she is. So we kind of started to build all of that into it and, and what her backstory would be as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're really collaborative. And, mm. and we also had rehearsals, which you often don't get for TV. So we spent a few days in a room just kind of workshopping, um, you know, what that might be. Uh, so, yeah, it was super creative, actually. And I think there'll be more to come of that. We'll see a bit more of that backstory. And would you, like, when you're rehearsing, kind of, or getting into a part, obviously you'd be doing lots of kind of research, is there any merit in watching, you know, Good Morning Britain or The One Show, or, like, would you have to kind of watch those things and understand the dynamic of the kind of, you know, working with a a co-host, and was that helpful? It was super helpful. I mean, obviously I watched loads of Susanna Reid and Piers Morgan, Alex Jones on The One Show, um, Tess Daly, um, who else? 
that sort of style of presenting, you had to get it mm. absolutely right. Mm. Just like they've got the filming of the show absolutely spot on, the style of the sofa, the cutaways, you know, the performances had to be kind of on point for that to work, I think. Mm. Um, and then I went to watch the one show as well, because obviously oh. what you really need to then understand is what happens when they cut and it goes to a VT and what, what do yeah. the presenters actually do when, when the cameras aren't rolling on them. And that was really fascinating because they are so unbelievably slick that they sort of got a banana behind the, you know, behind the sofa yeah. or a cup of coffee or they immediately get their phone out yeah. and, you know, they're so on <laughs> off. Um, so I obviously really wanted to bring as much of that in the kind of she, that Jenny's such a pro that she's kind of she's working on six different things yeah. all at once. It's kind of that um, idea of like you know you're smiling while the camera's on and then it's like and cut and then it's like face drops, pick up phone, check Twitter, yeah. or you're into the next scene or whatever it is. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are so unbelievably good at that. So yeah, yeah, I think that's quite accurate. It's just turning mm, it off and on like a switch, isn't it? It's literally yeah. that process. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were going to ask you actually because we, we we kind of see a side to Jenny that is that definitely appears quite ruthless at times. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment, or is she just giving as she, as good as she gets with Alan? What, what's your take on her relationship with Alan? I think she is incredibly ambitious, and I think mm. to get to the point that she's got to in the industry, she's got to at the time she's got to. So let's say it's 2018 2019 I think you probably had to be pretty ambitious and quite maybe a bit hard-nosed to kind of um rise up the ladder as quickly as she has um and I think she's absolutely um kind of disbelieving of how useless he is um (laughs) she's obviously very disappointed and and I think was quite close with um with John before (laughs) Sadly, his illness <laughs> changed things. He will be missed. Um, he will be missed. John gone. Hashtag John gone. <laughs> Never um, fails to make me laugh that. I know, it's so good. Isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I think she is She is deeply frustrated with him. But I think she also is perhaps one of these women that, that quite likes to be adored as well. And so she's sort of playing on that as well. She can obviously tell that he's um, perhaps a bit flummoxed by her. Um, and so she enjoys the sort of power play there. But I, I think we're hopefully going to be able to develop that further. Well, I was going to say, it definitely feels like there's an, there's an ebb and a flow across the series of their relationship where you think at some points they're getting on and then, there's, then there are moments of this conflict and there's almost like a weird kind of control that she has over him in a way in terms of how she utilises his, his reactions and emotions. So, yeah, do you, do you think... Do you think there may be scope to develop that more into the next series? Or is that what you'd be hoping for? Yeah. I think so, definitely. Yeah, I think um, it's almost like we've been laying the groundwork for for which direction it's going to go in. And I think that we wanted a sense of ambiguity around them. It wasn't clear Mm. that just like, oh, Jenny hates Alan. End Mm. of story. That's a lot less interesting. It's not that simple, no. There's sort of part of her that's sort of quite curious about him, I think. And um, and he does sort of make her laugh as well. And there's a sort of... She also perhaps feels a little bit sorry for him. And she's also a bit vulnerable. And he can be weirdly sort of quite kind sometimes. <laughs> so mm. so I suppose it's like all the relationships, you know, throughout the ser- various series, they're never just completely clear, clean cut, which is what makes them all so interesting, isn't it? Mm. And, and stand the test of time. I think one of the things that we've always been um, curious about is just 
the character of Alan and how it's so versatile and how it's endured for so long. So it's been across so many mediums. So whether it's TV, whether it's film, whether it's books and now kind of in a podcast. And do you have any view on kind of why the character is so versatile? Because even, you know, much loved comedy characters like, you know, Basil Fawlty or Derek Tross or whatever it might be, like they haven't existed outside of TV even though they've been hugely popular. What Mm. is it about Alan Partridge that seems to work across all of these different mediums? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, I mean, I think it's it's firstly the fact that he's managed to kind of morph an update, which is really extraordinary. Mm. So he's managed to make him relevant or irrelevant, as the case may be, <laughs> at each point. But also, I think we do all know someone a bit like him, and we've all almost always like all been him at some Mm. point as well with some of the one of the things I follow on Twitter is like the I'm Alan the Alan Partridge like one where people say things that are like Alan Partridge quotes yeah and they're they're everywhere aren't they we know politicians or people at work or you know an uncle or whatever who are like him (laughs) and so I think maybe it's got something to do with that that um that is sort of timeless his Mm. sort of inappropriateness and um, but I also just think the writing has just kind of been developed and enhanced at each point. Like Rob and Neil are just incredible. The amount of material that they produce and it's all such top quality stuff, isn't it? Um, so maybe it's that. I don't know. It's 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 an extra- extraordinary achievement, isn't it? It is. And I think you're right. I think the Gibbons have, have had a, a huge hand in not only kind of reviving the character, but being able to adapt it so cleverly. And you're right, their writing style is so on point um, mm. and the output is so consistently strong. It would love to hear more about kind of working with the Gibbons in terms of their writing style. And we've always heard kind of stories about whether it's Alpha Papa or whether it's this time that the writing is so up to the wire. It must be a really unique kind of situation to be in as an actor. But how did you how do you find that? How do you operate in that kind of environment? 
I had a, um, a drink with Tim Key last night, actually, and we were talking about it and saying that we were very, very lucky because we both had auto cue. So mm. we obviously, we didn't get a script the night before, or we had one, but we knew it would change. We'd get another <laughs> one in the car in the morning at sort of half five, meaning that those guys have been doing something between 10pm and half five in the morning. Oh God. God only knows. Um, and then in the makeup chair, you'd get another version of the script, but you don't want to learn that either. Um, and then on set, you'd start reading through kind of what they, what we were up to at that point. Um, you know, sat on the sofa in uh, the this time sofa in in the morning at sort of six a.m. And then it would change again, and we'd po- ch- poke things out, take things out, poke new bits in, change jokes, um, and then we'd probably shoot something. Um, but because we had everything on our auto cue, it meant that we could kind of work that quickly and um but for the guests coming in I think it was a lot harder because they obviously had to appear like they knew exactly what they were saying and they weren't being fed it by anybody um and Tim as he was saying last night had an even easier job because he's supposed to look completely baffled like, just, yeah. what, what the hell's going on <laughs> so uh yeah he, he mastered that brilliantly he really does doesn't he it's extraordinary um yeah so, um, and, and obviously I'm a consummate professional. So as long as I knew which camera I was supposed to be looking at on each bit, I genuinely am sight reading new text for the first time on quite a lot mm. of what you ended up seeing on the TV. So it, it's unlike anything else, but I have to say, like, I wouldn't swap it for the world because it's about getting things as funny as they can be. And that means tweaking and tweaking and tweaking right up until the last minute. And that's what I'm interested in. So I'd rather have a stressful kind of few weeks of comedy boot camp than um than a safe script that we're just doing because that's what they wrote in their bedrooms six months before. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it, it wasn't a case that things were improvised then, but it's a case that things were changed right up to the last minute. Yeah, yeah. like every kind of um and ah and word is is ends up in a script which is set but we would kind of play around with how that ends up being and then it would and then it would get put into a script and be set and then we'd keep going and keep going and obviously Steve might add in the odd few bits that weren't expected but um generally the framework's pretty pretty solid basically Steve's the only one who's allowed to improvise That's pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess you could say that, but um, but but yeah, most of it is kind of yeah pre-agreed. Yeah, it's quite interesting the process of you you having the auto cue because that means in effect you're doing exactly the real job of being a one show presenter. That's exactly how those shows work, which is quite probably quite unusual for a comedy show. I would imagine <laughs> probably a first. Yeah, I think it probably is. I mean, it's really made me like massively appreciate what they do. Um, you know they've got someone in their ear they've got paperwork they've got a screen below them and they've got an auto cue and they've got the guest on the sofa Mm. with them so there's so many variables of things that could change and they have to make it look like they're sort of you know paddling ducks like everything's normal and expected Um, so yeah massive massive props to anybody that can do that Um, it's very exciting though like it, it is exciting and um, it's uh, yeah, certainly not something that I've ever done before in conjunction with comedy, but um, it's all about timing, really, isn't it? So as long as you've set the timing of everything, um, you know, like with Lolly coming in and doing her, yeah. um, not being able him not him not her not being able <laughs> to hear him, that sort of thing. As long as that's really set, um, I think it works brilliantly, doesn't it? Together. 
I, th- I think when we went through our analysis of the show, a lot of our favourite moments were probably those things where it came down to the perfect timing. So things like the shuttlecock falling down or is it, is it, um, when he's got cocksucker written on the clipboard and you <laughs> slap it down, like all those kind of quite kind of slapstick, but perfectly timed as well. But I think those yeah. were some of our standouts. And we were going to ask actually for you, I mean, do, do you have, when you look back, do you have a favourite episode from that whole series? And do you have any particular favourite moments that really st- stick out for you? I think one of my all-time favourite moments is the first time that we meet the Digiwall and Tim can't work it out. That I just think, I honestly think that is one of the best, like, comedic set pieces. Yeah. The timing of that, not that one, not, you know, where he's, that little process. Yeah. And that was very specifically timed and choreographed. Um, And I think it took them quite a long time to get it exactly how they wanted it and it's worth it. Um, I like the detail of, of the fact that they designed the steps on the this time set so that it would yes. be like a step and a half yes. rather than a comfortable yes. step. Yeah. Like, I just love that. Um, and so that moment of him going up the steps the first time, I, I really like the bit where he comes in in the car with the... Um, <laughs> With the dancers from yes. the Richmond with, with yeah. the, the, the fizzed up squealers. I think that's what he calls them. Yeah. Does he? <laughs> yeah. And where does he, what does he say? Like, uh, we've been rehearsing um, in Richmond Town Hall or something. No, it's something even more kind of banal than that, isn't it? It's yeah. brilliant. Um, can you remember what it is? I can't remember what, what, what it is, but one of them is definitely a shaved boy. I remember that much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then the kind of really ambiguous, bye, Alan, bye. Yeah. Yeah. It's just just genius. Um, And then I suppose all the brilliant stuff about, like, women and um, him trying to understand, you know, the Me Too movement and women's rights and stuff. I just think it's really, really well played. Yeah. Um, He he tries his best. He tries his best. And I think that's another thing why people still really like him is that he is an, he's, he's sort of awful, but he is trying his best. And I don't think he's really a bad person. I don't know what you guys think. We, we've talked, I mean, <laughs> we've talked about it for about ooh, probably how many episodes of it? A hundred, hundred hours, <laughs> just the hundred hours of an artist. But just yeah, he's, hours. he's on the right side of like wrong effectively. And he is doing, mm. he is doing his best and he's keen to understand these complicated issues, but it's just his articulation and his understanding and his just, his personality that, that fails him um, to kind of really kind of properly grapple with them, um, which does mm. kind of beg the question how he got the BBC, you know, <laughs> job in the first place. But <laughs> that's a bigger question. Um, how did you find being on set with all of the kind of, you know, wealth of talent that was there? Like just in terms of like even things like, you know, corpsing, how do you is there kind of pressure to kind of keep it together because you don't want to be kind of the one that's, you know, having to, you know, the scene having to be kind of cut. How does that work in terms of just keeping it together on set? Because what you're seeing is so funny. I mean, I think you get quite good at that. Um, It's sort of practice of being able to hold it together and then and then it cut kind of uh, release. But we definitely did have um, we definitely did have quite a few things. I think the toilet thing where he was trying to um, hands free ablutions in the the train carriage. I think that was one of the hardest ones. Um, and I think the first time that his lips were revealed, I think he didn't yeah. show us before. And so that was quite, uh, quite a tricky one. Um, but, um, yeah, you kind of get good at that, but also, yeah. you know, one of the great things about doing this job is that you are sort of paid to laugh really. Like you, you are often, you often do have a real laugh and you stop, stop and kind of 
enjoy the moment. Um, and then once you've got it out of your systems, then you all know you can kind of carry on. Mm. But, but yeah, I've never been told off for it so far, but there's still time. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Is it kind of like a, a fairly chaotic kind of day then in terms of what that day looks like in terms of the timings, the length of it, what's going on? Everyone's kind of moving very frantically. It's just the pace of the day from beginning to end is pretty relentless. Is is manic, yeah, and especially for the, for Rob and Neil and Steve because if we eat on a lunch break or a tea break, they're writing, and the and the boys are behind the behind the monitors with their laptops writing for the next episode whilst directing and and filming what we're doing at, at that time. So, um, which is nice because you get quite a lot of creative freedom. Every sort of couple of weeks, I'd be like, "Everything all right, lads?" And they'd be like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, all good, carry on. <laughs> um, so it was, yeah, it is unlike any other kind of set I've been on. And often often you're changing the order of things because they want to write something better for a certain scene, so they're not ready to shoot that yet or whatever. But I suppose the slightly easier thing is that most of it's on the one location on set. Mm. So um, you're not kind of doing lots of moves and stuff as well. But we had an amazing first AD who managed to steer the ship with, I, I literally have no idea how she did it. We didn't know, we didn't even know who was going to be in it at certain points and somehow a schedule was created. So yeah, hats off. <laughs> I think we'd, uh, we would all agree that Jenny absolutely made this time what what it was. She The perfect foil to Alan essentially seeing the show and I, I think we also agreed that when tim key joined the apu as psychic simon he stole the show in mid-morning matters as well um so for, for your point of view how did it feel to be joining such a well-established and long-running comedic franchise so you know at this point there were what over 25 years of alan on our screen so the pressure must have felt quite immense yeah it was it was huge to be honest yeah and and of course, you you film something, but you don't ever really get to see what's been filmed. Like you don't watch back, really. Maybe very occasionally, I'd have a little sneak behind the monitors. Right. So it was only until a year later, when they'd finished doing the edit, it took it took that long for for various reasons. We did some reshoots and stuff, but actually, I just think they wanted to get the look of it exactly right. So it was worth taking that time. But it was a year of me going, "Am I in it? Is it just my shoulder?" Like, you know, I you just don't know. Right. Um, so only when they did this big, big screening at the BBC, um, which was just before the release, that I was like, okay, um, I'm definitely in it. And um, and I think it's good. But, <laughs> but really, it's about how people respond. And, and with a show like this, when the fans are so invested, it's about the response from those people. So... I have to say, like, I'm not massive on social media, but I was sort of slightly terrified that I was going to get, um, you know, barrages of complaints that I'd ruined. I'd ruined everyone's fun. <laughs> 25 years of fun I had personally ruined. <laughs> um, Fortunately, that very much wasn't the case. No, thank God. Thank God, yeah. I mean, like, like you said, the media interest in the show was huge. Like you, And you even got the chance to co-host BBC News for a few minutes on launch day, for example. So yeah. what did that feel like in comparison to any other shows that, you, that you've worked on? I guess it was kind of like nothing else. It was like nothing else. And, and nowadays it's so rare that a release date of a TV show is a thing, right? Like that mm. everyone's mm. going to sit down on that Tuesday night and watch it at, at eight o'clock or whenever it was on. I think it's nine. Um, this sort of like collective, you know, intake of breath before watching the show and that everyone's going to watch it on that night just that's just not really how people watch television anymore so that was mm. really kind of extraordinary 
um, and the sort of build up to it was kind of crazy, to be honest. Yeah, we were doing interviews everywhere and, um, you know, it was on BBC Breakfast and doing, you know, lots and lots of radio interviews and, and press and stuff for um, in newspapers and things as well. So the, the interest was kind of amazing and overwhelming. Um, and so, thank God, it was all positive <laughs> when the show did come out. But I guess I thinking that... about it, it's actually quite unusual the fact that the BBC even had a screening. Mm. So we were actually lucky enough to be invited to that as well because uh, oh, friends in high places hey. can't reveal our yes. sources. Um, okay. And yeah, for the BBC to have a screening of two episodes of a new sitcom, I guess that that never happens, does it? That's so unusual, right? I guess not. And the people at that screening, I mean, Monty Don, for one, well, he was quite. there. Donty, Donty. Monty! He was there. And the great and the good of British comedy, really. So and, it and was the bad. Kind. That, that's, that's, and oh, that's our bit. Yeah, that's, that's us you, covered. Yeah. Yeah. Someone you're, had you're to clear away the bit. plates and glasses. <laughs> Thanks for that, guys, I meant to say. Um, yeah, it was kind of mad. Like, Ben Elton was there and, um, oh, God, ev- everyone. Everyone who was, you know... Fleabag cast mm. were there. Yeah, I, um, all sorts of incredible people. I, I, I do remember. I think we were stood in a corner eating cheese straws, going, "Oh my god, it's that person! Oh my god, they're here!" I mean, I, yeah, I can't even remember the list, but it was like you say, it was the entire kind of British comedy establishment was was out in force for it. I think, which yeah, is yeah, quite which incredible. is so mm. unusual because I don't know. Normally, certain shows pique certain people's interest, right? And and you're going for a, a certain kind of portion of society but I don't know this seems to really kind of go much much wider than that and and it's also got a massive sort of new young teenage following as far as I'm aware as well of like um younger people who hadn't really known it before I think it also it was it was the kind of significance within the kind of you know the Alan Partridge you know universe in terms of him coming back to the BBC within Alan's world is huge and actually mm. you know Alan has passed from you know it's audible it's been on sky it's he's also kind of transitioned not just multiple media platforms but dif- different kind of media companies so it was the significance of Alan coming back to the BBC and also within Alan's world coming back to the BBC that I think just really heightened just the interest in in this and to be back on prime time and all of those things just contributed to a huge amount of interest in the character's kind of return um Mm. so we're left on i guess a bit of a cliffhanger in series one as to you know what's kind of going on i mean obviously you know is there is there anything you can kind of share or in terms of what that what that future could could potentially look like well it was sort of left you know it kind of open wasn't it at the end of the first series as, as to like whether i would come back whether he would get fired whether I would leave there was a real sense of like ooh, um you know is it are we even going to get another series of this um and if so is it going to be the same setup as what we've had before so I can confirm that I'm in it so that's good um <laughs> and and I'm in um a lot of it so I think I think it's going to be I imagine somewhat COVID related um but I don't know just because um, obviously, that's what's going on in the world at the moment, um, and that affects kind mm. of everything. Um, and I do know that we're going to kind of get a bit more in depth with their relationship, the two of them. Um, and I mean, there's so much material. I feel like you could make like ten series of this time, couldn't you, and not run out of material because um, you know the way it's set up is sort of a, a wealth of stuff yeah. that they could use. Um, but apart from that, 
rehearsals are supposed to start in a couple of weeks. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, it's all big question marks at the moment. Exciting. Yeah. I think that we, yeah. we kind of fans and, um, you know, anyone that enjoys it, the, the Gims have really built up credibility as well within the fan base that you just know that the writing is going to be really strong because yeah. they haven't really let anyone down since they took, took the kind of helm. So I think they'll mm. find a really interesting perspective on what, Alan and and this time means really in this new kind of world and I think we all kind of have faith that they'll find an interesting perspective on how to how to approach that because it's such an interesting opportunity with COVID that I think they'll really kind of find something interesting to latch on to. I'm very I'm very hopeful as well yeah I think and I think it will be one I think it'll be wonderful mm. for us all to be able to watch it from that from that framework through that perspective I think it's probably what we all need isn't it yeah light relief <laughs> yes please gosh and if, if rehearsals are starting relatively soon how does that work in terms of the process of getting an initial script which you know will change 20 times before you get to filming like when will you when will you first see any any of the words that are going to be this time series two when will that happen that's or has that happened good, that's a jolly good question Tom. <laughs> you'd like um, to know <laughs> I'd really love to know if you could find out. Um, no, we're chasing on scripts at the moment, but um, but as obviously was the case with the last series, I'm sure there'll be lots of different reincarnations before. Um, but I think there'll be a general sort of sense, like there was last time, of what the journey is um, and, and what the ending is. Although we did shoot a number of different endings for last series, so it's only when oh. I watched it on the telly that I knew which... Um, which one it would be? Oh wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I I think that's is that an exclusive? I've not I've, I wasn't aware of that. It's an exclusive for us. Ex- I think. I think least. it's an exclusive. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely an episode six where I stayed a lot longer, um, and there was a there was some more explosive argument as well. Mm. Um, and so they went with I think the right option, which was a sort of what's going to happen mm. next. A lot of, of ambiguity to it. Yeah. And yeah. what? So they they deliberately didn't tell you what they were going to choose until it until it basically went to the final edit. I think they just like to give themselves options once they see the whole show together yeah. as to like what what feels right. Um, so I think it was more about that rather than them trying to drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was going to ask when you when you talk about the kind of constant rewriting process, th- does that mean that from the outset though you do you have a kind of roadmap of broadly what the plot points are going to be? So you have a you have a rough idea of where the story is going to go, but it's it's the wording that changes and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's more the timing or the joke or maybe a bit of speech will be passed from Alan to me or me to Alan and we'll cut up certain bits so that there's, you know, in those moments where we step on each other, for example, we'll rehearse that and make sure that we're, you know, we're both we're both saying the first three lines together, and then it goes on to me, and then back to him. So it's sort of apportionment of like of lines, um, and then sometimes the subject will change. So like, uh, if they're just thinking that something isn't funny enough, like the content isn't funny enough, they'll just go and write something else. Um, yeah. But it's interesting that they can be literally the morning of shooting, going, "This still isn't isn't good enough." Yeah. Basically. Yeah, and we shot a whole scene as well that got. Um, I think nearly a whole episode that got reshot as ah, well because it wasn't cause, funny enough. Because I yeah. think... Or, it, or they just didn't feel it f- it fitted, yeah. Because I think, was there something around, I think, did the, did the order of the episodes change or so, something like that as well? 
Yes, I think they did. Yeah. So that was another thing that was that's complicated when we were filming it because I'm going, hang on, sorry, do I know that? Have we done that bit or mm. or do I not know that yet? We don't know yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and also like I wanted her kind of look to progress as well, and so with costume and things like that, and and their kind of physical proximity. Um, so yeah, it, that did add some complication, but obviously, again, they got it right in the end. You just trust them. Yeah, and it's interesting thinking about. So, w- were there were there many other things that didn't make it to final edits? Because I, I think when, when we look back to older things like I'm Alan Partridge, you used to always get the kind of DVDs with the kind of ten minutes of extra scenes and bloopers and things like that. Do you, is is there much on the cutting room floor from this time, or did most of it actually come to air? No, I think there must be lots, actually. <laughs> like, I mean, for starters, I did loads of, um, like, VTs. You know how he goes out mm. and does his interviews and stuff. So I did quite a few of those, which oh. are playing in the background sometimes. Hmm. You can see them on the screens. Um, and then we might cut away, but it's playing. Like, there's the whole, we filmed the whole thing. Um, so there's quite a lot of that that didn't make the edit. Um and there's a bit where I go to a farm, I think. I don't know if that ended up in it. And another bit where I'm doing like jogging in the background. Um, <laughs> all sorts of ridiculous <laughs> stuff. Um, and then and then there was a kind of like quiz bit that they did, which didn't end up in it. Um, so yeah, quite a bit. Oh, I think, did, did they, I feel like, did Robin Neil talk about there was some kind of moral maze type segment that didn't come to fruition? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. we yeah. thought this was interesting. We got um, when it came out on DVD, there, there's only, there was only the one extra scene, which I think was, I guess, one of the early rehearsals. So there's about a 10 minute sequence, which is the um, the J- Jenny's first arrival, Alan asking for a glass of water. It's kind of those early things. Uh. And I was going to ask, it's a very specific question. Was that filmed in the actual one show studio? Do you remember? Oh, did they put that on it? Yeah. Am I wearing like a grey dress? Is it yes. a different outfit? Yes, and the digi wall yeah. is just like a piece of cardboard at this point. Yeah, 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 we did. I think we did film that at the One Show yes. Studios. TV night. On a Sunday or something like that. Because yeah, it's all curtained sure off behind did. you. Yeah, yes, we did. Yes, because I was in Alex, Alex Jones's dressing room. That's also an exclusive. I think I left it. I think I left it quite tidy. Um, But yeah, that was really. I mean, obviously, that's also just super helpful, isn't it, to be in a studio like that and see what their, you know, what their clothes look like and what the setup is, and um, and we needed to kind of do those sorts of rehearsals. I think before the first first outing. Because I guess the reality is for shows like the one show in particular, the actual studio is tiny, and I think that would surprise quite a lot of people how confined those spaces are. And I guess one of one of the inherent jokes in this time is the studio is far too big. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I I think we counted like the amount of steps Alan has to take to the digiwall, and in each episode, I think it got one less or one more, but it was always like (laughs) fifteen steps, which in real TV would never happen exactly yeah i mean they they think of everything don't they the timing the kind of awkward pauses where he stopped talking before he then has another four steps before he gets to who he's supposed to be talking to just those kinds of little bits of detail and the and the awkward pauses and bits where things are hanging in the air um yeah just brilliant um fantastic We've got a couple of uh, listener um, questions um, that are coming from Twitter, fully vetted, don't worry. Um, so first <laughs> off, did Steve stay in character kind of whilst he was filming? Like, you know, 
did he take much of a kind of a method approach where he was he was Alan sort of during the day and then when the kind of you know the wig comes off it's it's Steve or is he kind of no no we were talking about our bathrooms between, <laughs> you know, we were, I mean no <laughs> no an answer fair enough fair I enough. think it was too it would be too much yeah. to stay in character with him that would drive you all mad <laughs> wouldn't it yeah yeah, yeah me particularly because I'd sit next to him for 14 hours a day um but yeah no um Steve is amazing at just kind of switching into it and um and you get quite good at that mm. uh, I should say that question came in from Gary Lord this is from Pete Millett which Gary. I think is a slightly more uh, abstract question but I do like it uh, if Alan Partridge okay. was listed as a missing person um would Jenny assist with the public media campaign to help define him or would she politely <laughs> decline <laughs> That is so abstract. I love it. Um, I think she would because I think it would be um, useful um, publicity for herself, wouldn't it? I think she'd probably um, find a, find an angle on it um, that would kind of aid her her visibility, shall we say? Absolutely. Um, well, look, we should probably um, wrap things up. So, uh, your new drama, uh, Life, is on BBC right now. Um, yeah, is there anything yeah. else you want to tell us about in terms of you know what's coming up in in the future? Anything else to 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 mention at this point? Well, it's been a slightly quiet few months. So, the things that I was supposed to be shooting look like they will be shooting next year, um, and that's um, another comedy written by Robin Neil Gibbons. Um, and and obviously this time too. So let's hope that Fantastic. comes out sooner rather than later. Indeed. Well, um, we just want to say a huge, great big thank you for uh, joining us. We've really appreciated your time and your insight. So thank you so much. And I think the only thing I'd say before you go is it's intimate. In, in, uh, inter, intimate. Very good. Intimate. Teaser <laughs> intimate. <laughs> But it's lovely to meet you guys. Fantastic. Thank, thank you so, so much, much for your time. Well. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So there we go. Some exciting teasers for this time series too and uh, all manner of other information about Jenny Gresham, Alan and the APU in general. Uh, huge thanks again to Susanna Fielding for her time. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us um, with questions for us or perhaps for a future guest or theories or concerns, <laughs> maybe not concerns, uh, about uh, <laughs> about Monkey Tennis or about From the Oast House or about Alan Partridge, then we're on Instagram at Monkey Tennis Pod, Twitter at The Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod. You can email thepartridgepod at gmail.com. Um, WhatsApp, you can leave us a voice note there on the Monkey Tennis hotline 07923 and perhaps feature in a future episode of Monkey Tennis. And if you'd like to chuck us the price of a cup of coffee to keep the show going and ensure there's uh, more chat about Alan for years to come, you can head to ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis and sling us a couple of quid there. We uh, appreciate all of your donations and your feedback. We'll be back with more from the Oast House next week. Uh, thank you very much for listening and from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, thanks and goodbye. Now this is the the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Gokumpa. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Dumbak about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chip? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis? From the Oast House. Keep it down, love. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.